Hey, I'm Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. I hope that this message encourages you. I hope that it inspires you. And I hope that it causes you to dive deeper into God's word. I also hope that you have some community around you that you can talk through some of these things with. Now, I want to remind you that we are in the middle of our year in the story, which is really this deep dive into God's great story and our place in it. If you'd like more information about that or more information about our community here at Restore, you can get that on our website at restoreaustin.org. We'd really love to see you soon. Thanks for listening. I'm, I'm glad that we're talking about this today because this is Memorial Day weekend. And so to all of our veterans who have served our country and have died for freedom, we salute you. And it's something because it was my fourth deployment in December of 2005. I was deployed to Iraq, and I can remember very vividly being confronted with my fear. We were located in one of the most, if not the most, dangerous areas of Iraq. And because I was in logistics, we would have to travel by convoy through those dangerous areas and deliver supplies to the soldiers on the front lines. It was a large-scale effort to keep the soldiers on the front lines supplied with everything to be successful. And for our, own, for our own safety and to minimize exposure to the enemy or to minimize casualties, we would have to travel at night. So I came face to face with my fear as we traveled back to our base camp one night. I'm listening through my headset for any updates as we return to our base and we're halfway home, things were going great, and I mistakenly heard the wrong instructions over the radio. And I asked my driver to turn left instead of turning right, which meant that we broke away from the convoy. And we found ourselves on a dead-end road facing two headlights. And I can honestly say at that moment, my soldier looked at me. I looked at the soldier, and I was afraid. I didn't know what was going to happen at that moment. And we kind of drove into a, what's, you know, in the military, it's called a kill zone because the enemy would try to move you to an area where you can't move left or move right. And it was kind of one of those areas. And I didn't know what to say. The only thing I could do was take my weapon, my military uh, M16, off of safe, moved it to the next selector, which was semi-automatic, and I was prepared at that moment to die, to fight if I had to. But thankfully, I heard a voice over the radio said, we've lost one on the convoy, uh, we will go back and get uh, that, lost, uh, that lost puppy that's on the road. And the commander, well, this commander sent the troops, a couple of troops to get us and put us back with the convoy. We got back to the, to the base. 
I'll never forget the little staff sergeant. He was my saving grace. He looked and said, can you just stay with us next time? (laughs) Have you ever been so paralyzed by fear that you can't complete what you've been called to do? Have you been so paralyzed by fear before that you can't complete what you need to do? Sometimes the fear itself is suffocating. And I believe that there are four areas that fear can be categorized. Now, there may be more, but I believe that we could narrow it down to four constants that we will be faced with when it comes to fear. And I believe those four constants are fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of the unknown, and then there's a fear of God. And when I think about the fear of failure, I think about how this will keep us from trying new things because we feel that we're going to fail. And so we've wrapped it up, we've summarized it and said, I'm going to fail at this, so why even start? But my question today is, what if we didn't see failure as a means to an end, but a discovery of a new beginning? If you talk to Norman Lawson, he was asked to come up with a product that would help Navy ships prevent corrosion from ocean salts that affected the gears of the ships. He tried and tried and tried and he failed and failed. 39 times he failed. However, on his 40th attempt, he succeeded. Is anyone familiar with this product called WD-40? It is actually called, the term is water displacement 40th attempt. This is where WD-40 get its name from. Think about it. What if he had stopped at 38? What if he stopped at number five? What if he stopped, period? Then there's a fear of rejection. This is a type of fear that causes us not to enter into relationships with others. It could be jobs where we just didn't go to that interview because I don't want to be rejected. We didn't talk to that person because I think I may get rejected. Could be, you know what, I don't want to join a small group. I I feel like an outsider. I don't want to do it. And you know what? They would be better off without me. I think about um, how that surfaces and comes to play. Think about the story of um, Saul. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 15, verses 24 through 26, it says, Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me, that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. God gave Saul a job, a simple task, very small, and because the people 
were encouraging him to do something different. He feared rejection of the people, and he did what the people wanted instead of what God wanted. And at that moment, God sent Samuel and said, listen, man, you've, you've messed this thing up. This is not what God wanted for you. This is not what God wanted for Israel. There's a bigger mission than what you're thinking. He said, and for that reason, you have lost this kingdom. Fear of rejection. And then there's the fear of the unknown. A lot of times we don't venture out to new things because we cannot see the end result. We have become so successful that we look to our own accomplishments as a barometer for success. I know what it takes. This isn't going to work because of this, and based on my calculations and based on my uh, planning, based on my analysis, this is not going to work. And what happens when we do that, we end up what is in what is called as a comfort zone. Isn't it time to come out of the comfort zone? <laughs> Dust off those khakis, those pants. And come out of the comfort zone. I believe being in the comfort zone is a reflection of overconfidence in ourselves. And then there is the fear of God. The Bible lets us know in Psalm 111 and 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. We have to have a healthy fear of God. God is not the taskmaster that says, here's the mission. I want you to do it. Now go. No, God is saying, here's the mission, and I'm going to go with you. Here's the calling that I have on your life. Here's the things that I want you to do, and I will be there with you. I will be there through your fears. I will be there through your challenges. I will be there through your highs. I will be there through your lows. I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you because I am God. This is the God that we serve that says, I am there with you all the time. I love it how in 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. If you read in the King James Version, I, I love to quote the King James Version. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. When you look up this word discipline, the word can be translated into the Greek, which says sophronismos, which means a disciplined mind. God wants our mind to be disciplined on him. And sometimes that means, God, look, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what, if people are going to reject me. I don't know the, I have the unknown. But one thing, God, I know about this is you're going to be with me. Discipline in our mind to say, God, I have to trust you. God, this is about you, not about me. So then the question is, when we get to this point, how did we get to the point where we're talking about Gideon? When you look at the story of, of Gideon, we find Israel in a cycle of disobedience. Israel went through a time 
of failure. And then there was God's judgment. And then they would repent. And then there was deliverance. And then they were restored. And Israel went through this time and time again. Failure, judgment, repentance, deliverance, restoration. You see that theme not only in uh, Gideon, but throughout Israel's history. You know what? You see that in our life too. We fail. God looks at us. God helps us. Then we repent. Then there's deliverance. Then there's restoration. The book of Judges, the sixth chapter, the one, verses 1 through 5, this is kind of where we're going to park at today. It says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. For it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites would come up with the Amalekites, and the sons of the east and go up against them. So they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. The Midianites were terrible. They oppressed Israel. They caused so much pain against Israel, and it was because they began to follow false gods. They were disobedient to God. And God said, you know what? God will deliver them into the hand of the Midianites. And it was seven years. This went on time after time after time. And then Israel's dis disobedience got so bad where God said, now it's time for them to be delivered. It got so bad that we see Gideon in a place where he shouldn't be. In verse 11 of the book of Judges, sixth chapter, it says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizurite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. Think about this. Gideon is... Threshing wheat in the wine press. Okay, listen to this. He is threshing wheat in the wine press. It is almost impossible to do that. Because you would have to be in an open field, throw the wheat up, let the chaff fall, and then you get the stock. And he's in an area in the wine press that's used for grapes and the wine but because he didn't want to be exposed to, to the Midianites, he was better off over there in the comfort zone. It could still be done. But he says, I feel better doing this in the comfort zone. And this is where I like how this is. God calls him. Gideon, while well, he's in the comfort zone. Regardless of what was going on, God still called him. That's why I love about the, the, the video that we show here at Restore. Regardless of who you are, what you've done, 
your background, it doesn't matter. God still loves you. And God still wants you to complete this task that he's given you. God is still holding your hand and saying, come on, we can do this together. God still cares about you because it's all about his glory and ultimately his mission. So the story opens up. This is amazing. The angel of the Lord, in verse 12 of Judges 6 chapter, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Now, oh my God, can you just imagine being in the comfort zone and God is saying to you, you are one tough cookie. He says, you mighty valiant warrior. The thing about this is God will always see us differently than we see ourselves. God tells Gideon that I will take out the Midianites as though they are one man. So I want to say to you today, God plus you equals a majority. And I think Gideon's response is probably much like ours, God, I'm, I'm, I'm not suited. You got the wrong person. I think this person is better for this. Remember, um, remember that, that one guy that did that big thing? Man, he was great. I think you should let him do it again. And God says, look, forget about all that. I want to show you some things about yourself. I want to show you some things that I can do through you and use you in a way where I will get the glory. I love that about this. So, the first order for business of God, God had to restore his place in the lives of his people. So he instructs Gideon to build an altar and tear down the altar of Baal. Gideon was so afraid to accomplish this task that he had to ask God, can, I can do it, but just let me do it at night. And you know what? Did God say, no, I only want it done during the daytime. God said, you want to do it at night? <laughs> Let's do it at night. And God used Gideon to tear down these altars of, of false worship that the Israelites were going through. So God said, I want to restore worship. Then Gideon says, oh, okay. This is good. I like this. Something miraculous happened. I saw God's hand move, and it was great. But then just as Gideon gets over one struggle, guess what? He's faced with another. Look at the 33rd verse of the 6th chapter. It says, Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the sons of the east assembled themselves, and they crossed over and camped in the valley of Jezreel. So now we see the picture of after this great deliverance, after worship is seemingly being restored, these enemies are all around him. And he's seeing this. Do we get that way sometimes? Seem like when we get over one thing and we're happy and we're rejoicing, something else comes up. 
God moves us. God equips us. He delivers us. He helps us through one trial, and we, we're on top of the world, and then this thing happens. Seem like two steps forward, three steps back. But God says, I'm still there with you. And so I want you to look at Gideon's prayer in the 36th verse. And then Gideon said to God, if you will deliver Israel through me, as you have spoken. He says, look, I, I see all of these armies. I see these masses of people. But you said that you were going to deliver me. So if this is what you're going to do, some of the military's most elite forces are stationed throughout the United States. There are rapid deployment forces that at a moment's notice Thousands of soldiers can be deployed in harm's way to protect our nation's freedoms and values. If you look at the Army, they control the ground. You look at the Navy, they maintain freedom of the seas. The Air Force maintains air superiority. The Marines specialize in, specialize in amphibious assault operations. And then the Coast Guard, they ensure our nation's maritime safety, security, and stewardship. And so Gideon is, he's ready. He's ready and prepared with tens of thousands of soldiers. And God narrows this army down from tens of thousands to just 300 men. Think about, has anybody ever been through a military installation like Fort Hood or... Fort Carson, Colorado, Camp Lejeune, Scott Air Force Base, Florida. I mean, just think about an entire base that's ready and prepared to move, to deploy, to fight the enemy, and God says, you can just, everybody at the base, go home. I just need 300 men. Because God looked at this and said, Gideon, the army is prepared, but if, if they win, they're going to think they did this. They're going to think they were superior. And God says, I want to show you what I can do. God took those 300 men and ultimately delivered Israel from the hands of the Midianites, and God used Gideon to do it. Was he afraid? Yes. Did he make known that he was afraid? Yes. But he took one step of faith each time and allowed God to do the rest. God took an army the size of a military installation, narrowed it down to 300 men, and allowed the victory through this man that was pressing, threshing wheat in a wine press. My friend, there is something also in this story that I, <clears throat> I really want you to see. Two of the leaders of the Midianites were captured, and I want you to look at their fate. And it says in Judges, the seventh chapter, the 25th verse, it says, they captured the two leaders of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. 
And they killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and they killed Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. I want you to think about that. If you could leave that on the screen just for a second, please. They killed Oreb at the rock, and they killed Zeb where? Okay, and if you've been paying attention to this, where does the story start out? Where was Gideon? Gideon was at the wine press. As I was going over this and just putting finishing touches, looking at the message, I saw this last night, and early in the morning, I'm laughing out loud. I thought my family was going to say, Mark, Dad, Mark, everything okay? This is amazing. You know why? Because I believe Gideon in this story, this is just my imagination, must have told those soldiers, look, I want you to take one of those leaders and I want you to destroy him at the area where I failed at, where I was afraid. I want to face my fear at that area. And now here this man is taken out at the wine press where Gideon started out. So my question for you today is where is your wine press? Where is your wine press? Are you willing to take a step to face your fears? Are you willing to partner with God and say, God, this is, this is tough, but I know you're with me? I can tell you, even in my own life, I faced a very tough struggle this year. It was painful. It was tough. And I can remember going from one place to another in my car, and I just sat and I said, God, this is too much for me. And in God's loving arms, I heard him say, that's a great start. Because if it's too much for you, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Now we can get work done. I tell you what, I'm on the road driving and singing now and waving at people because God is with me. So I'm going to ask you, this is, we don't normally do this, but I'm going to ask you to stand. And as we bring our message to a close today, I want to ask you to stand. And if you are with me and if you want to face your fear. I want you, let's say this confession together. I want you to say this confession with me. If this is you, if you are facing a fear, I want, to make a, I want us to make a confession together. Can we say this together? Let's go. Fear, you are no longer welcome in my life. You no longer have access to my thoughts and will no longer control my behavior. 
I submit my heart and mind to the power and authority of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, may your strength be made perfect in my weakness. In Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your people who are here today. Father, we realize that we face fears. There are things, God, that we look at and say, I cannot do this on my own. And this is where you come in, Lord, and you stay with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. We submit to you, God. Father, as we prepare to depart this place, let us, Lord, enter into a continued relationship and covenant with you, knowing that you are there for us, you're there with us. This is our prayer. Amen.